Hey, Corey, how are you? Well, how are you, Richard? I'm good, thank you. So, just wanted to um, to bring you out here. It's starting with the new year. We got Corey Diaz, CEO of Anfield Energy, ticker on uh, on the venture is AEC, and um, I wanted to kind of get Corey on this. We um, a very very interesting uranium slash vanadium story. We've um, <clears throat> we were also shareholders. We took part just as a disclaimer here. We took part in the company's last financing um, that was done at twenty cents a share. Stocks currently trading close today at uh, twenty two and a half on thirty three thousand shares. So small volume, but uh, over the last couple of months did hit a high of close to sixty cents and uh, of a low of around twenty twenty one or something like that. So. Um, stocks kind of trading at its low range and I wanted to bring you out here because I do believe we are um, uh, you know you're s- I think we have massive opportunity here and and I think it's it's trading in the range where it's kind of due for a nice little pop and I think you're gonna have some good news to come out and uh, and some good catalysts on the macro side both in the uranium and vanadium space going forward so um, even we didn't get, you know, the price of vanadium overall hasn't been the best recently, and yet your stock hasn't really um, gone smoked like like a lot of the other ones have. So I think it's kind of stabilized around these levels, and any sort of good news or good catalyst or good macro events, I think will do well would bode well for shareholders. So um, with that being said, why don't we kind of get started and uh, talk about? I know you you recently announced news last week um on on a couple projects why don't you kind of take us through the beginning anfield energy and what you guys are planning to do in 2019 and then we can kind of talk about this last acquisition uh sure so you know anfield you know uh is a uranium company with all of its assets uh, in the u.s uh, primarily in wyoming uh, utah and now Colorado. Um, and, you know, we've, we've spent a fair amount of time gathering assets in a low price environment. Uh, you know, the past couple of years, we've picked up ISR Metable, uh uranium assets in Wyoming. Uh, and prior to that, we did pick up some hard rock uh, conventional assets uh, in Utah, including the Shooter and Canyon Mill, uh, one of only three licensed, permitted, and constructed uh, conventional uranium mills in the U.S. Uh, you know, we've... Uh, you know, been trying to create a, a near-term production opportunity um, you know, through our acquisitions. And uh, you know, that's allowed us to uh, look at two different paths to production. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, we do have the hard rock opportunity with Utah and uh, the Shootering Mill, but our near-term opportunity has uh, always been uh, the lower-cost ISR play in Wyoming. Um, and part of the transaction that we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, the Charlie uh, project uh, was something that we'd actually announced back in March as part of a wider tra- um, transaction. Uh, and that is the, the aim there is to have that project be the first project to go into production uh, through Anfield. Uh, we do have access to uh, an existing processing plant in Wyoming that's uh, owned by Uranium One, and we have a resin processing agreement in place with Uranium One to actually produce using that uh, that asset. So it actually saves us a, a lot of time, a lot of money when it comes to moving forward to production. So, uh, so we're we're in a pretty good position now, and I think uh, you know, for 2019, you know, our aim is to advance Charlie. Uh, to the point where we could be on the cusp of production, uh, you know, and moving into production should the price 
uh, uranium price move high enough to justify it, or for you know if we get into a position where we're signing contracts with utilities uh, at a high enough price to justify turning that product on. Um, but certainly, you know, our focus in the near term in 2019 is certainly uh, in Wyoming. Okay, and can you talk to us a little bit about kind of what excites you about this project so much? Well, yeah, it's it's a uh, you know one of the lowest cost uh, you know most advanced uranium assets uh, on the ISR side in the U.S. Uh, it sits in between two of uh, uranium one's existing mines. Uh, in fact, it's on the same trend, and uh, the the opportunity is with all the infrastructure in place already, the proximity of a satellite plant uh, from which we can essentially. Uh, create a pipe from our mine to the satellite plant means that the the capex for the project is extremely low. And as I said, we have exi- you know we have access to an existing processing plant, so we don't have to go through the process of licensing a permanent an alternative plant and constructing that plant uh, over a long period of time at a significant cost. So Charlie is you know by many means one of the most advanced and best opportunities uh, in the uranium space today. <laughs> and is your plan to kind of do it all yourself or bring in a partner? Uh, we plan to do it ourselves. Uh, you know, we do have uh, the expertise of Uranium One that we can leverage because Uranium One actually works um, in the same environment where Charlie sits. Uh, but otherwise, we would certainly look, uh, you know, to be doing it ourselves. Hey, that said, we do have. Um, an opportunity to add some more operational experience to our team, and, and we're certainly seeking that out. But that, you know, will certainly signal to the market our commitment to uh, production going forward. But certainly, you know, we have no plans to uh, to necessarily collaborate outside of any relationship that we have uh, with Uranium One. Okay, and what about the West Slope in uh, in Colorado? Those projects. Sure. So I guess uh, as we go on to the transaction, obviously we've addressed Charlie already, but the second part of the transaction that I think is very interesting uh, is the hard rock side of the transaction. So we're talking about the West Oak properties, which consist of nine mines uh, in Colorado, uh, from which approximately 1.3 million pounds of uranium and 6.6 million pounds of native have always been, already been extracted. So we know that these are, are products that are actually, they're not, uh, you know, um, just exploration uh, assets. They're actually, you know, past producing mines. Uh, the fact that there's about 11 million pounds of uranium and 53 million pounds of vanadium on them obviously makes it much more attractive. And it actually helps to uh, potentially extend the life of the shootering mill, uh, you know, because the aim would be to send that hard rock material to the mill. And given the high uh, percentage of vanadium in the rock, I certainly would make it viable when it comes to uh, transporting that material uh, to the mill. So uh, the other thing that it could potentially do is, uh, you know, we could look to add a vanadium circuit to our mill. Uh, right now we just have a uranium circuit on the mill, uh, but certainly a vanadium circuit would uh, allow us to produce that vanadium, uh, you know, 53 million pounds of vanadium that we've just picked up, uh, at least a portion of that through our own processing facility in Utah. So. It does uh, turn the mill into an even more, uh, you know, um, critical asset in our portfolio, and certainly helps to delineate our hard rock asset base uh, from our um, our ISR uh, base. 
and I know obviously, you know, vanadium probably six months ago to a year ago was the hottest thing out there. It was the only, one of the only sectors along with cannabis that was doing anything. Uh, and vanadium stocks were absolutely skyrocketing. You guys are obviously in the space. You guys have picked up some incredible assets. What, but it's unfortunately the, the overall price of vanadium has taken a little bit of a dive here. What has that done to you guys and, and how do you think that's gonna impact you going forward? Well, you know, I guess we announced the, the transaction uh, after the fall in the, the vanadium price. So from our perspective, uh, we've, had, we've seen no impact. I think that, uh, you know, despite the fact that vanadium has fallen, it's still, you know, up uh, more than double where it was, you know, from a couple of years ago in terms of its low, you know, below, four, below $5. So um, I think that it's still, it's still priced quite well. And even at that price, you know, the, the, the value of each ton of rock is still high enough to justify shipping it to our mill. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think we're still in a great position. I think the fact that, you know, vanadium is not going away either. I think it still has its uses. Uh, it's still, you know, there for kind of energy storage. And I still think there are opportunities to work with, uh, you know, battery manufacturers, uh, you know, who are looking to uh, create larger scale uh, energy storage, you know, items. So from our perspective, you know, we just see there's still significant upside uh, to the opportunities. I mean, the, the Vanadium price is up at 28.75, I believe it was. Uh, it's come back down to 15, but certainly it shows that there is, you know, still significant upside potentially in what we have. And I think value today, you know, the rock is, is valued significantly higher than what our market cap sits. So I think that having that in our portfolio, you know, begs the question as to, you know, why our price isn't higher. So, you know, given that we do have production opportunities both on the ISR side, on the conventional side, and we have the potential of vanadium, significant vanadium uh, in our portfolio, which could potentially, you know, expand our production opportunity in Utah, uh, you know, it, it's tough to justify where our stock price is today and where our market cap sits. But I think what the market learns, you know, does recognize what we do have, what the past production that we do have are, and what materials could potentially be produced from uh, our options. I think uh, you know. I think the market might start to take a more favorable view of us. And are you are you just all kind of touching base on that? Do you kind of see anything in the in the overall uranium space on the macro level that you think is kind of showing that you know uranium companies are like yourself or uranium is going to do well in twenty nineteen. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think we started seeing it uh, in 2018. I think there are a few things. Obviously, the closures of mines, Cameco, Kazatomprom, you know, Kazatomprom looking to go public, which, uh, you know, likely means that it needs to show some high-priced contracts in this portfolio in order to, you know, kind of show an attractive uh, price going forward. Um, you know, the fact that a lot of people are, you know, Cameco is now buying out of the spot market and other players are, are no longer producing but just buying out of the spot market means that, there's little material in the spot market, uh, which is driving up the price of spot material, um, and, and therefore, you know, we see where the spot price is today. Uh, so, you know, there's some things being done on the supply side, you know, to affect uh, where the pricing, um, you know, sits now. Uh, we also look at the DOE, which has kind of drastically reduced the amount of material it's flooding the market with. So, uh, that material is is also having a positive impact, or the lack of that material is having a positive impact on the spot price. And then I guess the big story uh, relates to the 232 petition, 
uh, in the U.S. Uh, Can you touch base on that, on, on, what, on what that is? A 232 petition uh, essentially was put forth by UR Energy and Energy Fuels, two smaller producers, so uranium producers in the U.S., uh, calling on the Department of Commerce to enact uh, a quota system whereby U.S. utilities would be compelled to buy 25% of its uranium needs from domestic suppliers. Uh, right now, the U.S. consumes call it 50 to 55 million pounds per year, and over 95% of that material comes from overseas. Uh, so uh, this could have a significant impact uh, when it comes to uh, U.S. suppliers uh, and could help to revive the industry. Because as it stands today, you know, less than 2 million pounds comes from U.S. suppliers, uh, you know, for domestic utilities. So, you know, if, if this quota system were to go through, it means that you were talking 12, you know, almost up to 15 million pounds of material could potentially uh, come from U.S. suppliers. And those suppliers, you know, the, the parties who would benefit are the, the companies that are either supplying today or have the capability to supply today or who can supply in the near term. And we feel that we fall into that second category. I mean, that is massive news, and that's something that hasn't really been exposed or or marketed very well because it's not mainstream news, and it should be because I think that's a main, that's a massive catalyst if that goes through. It is, it is. You know, I think that the the market because uranium is such a niche market. You know, there's a lot of uh, misinformation out there. Um, I think that you know whether there's oversupply or you know. Um, uh, not enough material available for the, the number of reactors worldwide. I think that, you know, it, it's a situation where the information hasn't been clear. Uh, you know, from our perspective, you know, and based on the research that we've looked at, you know, there's a, uh, you know, there's a deficit. There's a, uh, there's a supply deficit right now. Um, there's no oversupply. Um, in fact, you know, we're talking, you know, tens of millions of, of lack of supply when it comes to what demand actually is today. And we think that's just going to be exacerbated by the actions of a chemical or cat atom problem uh, while they're looking to get contracts re-signed. Um, a number of parties, you know, because the contracts are running out with utilities, you know, a number of parties, you know, in order to fulfill the contracts, the dwindling end of the contracts, they're now just buying out of the spot market and selling into the contract. So, uh, you know, I think the utilities now are, are just... Uh, you're concerned. I think the biggest concern for utilities is the 232 petition. Uh, it may certainly you know, significantly impact their ability to go and buy material from overseas at a cheaper price. Um, but certainly, it could you know, help to revive uh, the U.S. domestic market. So I think that the 232 is is critical, um, you know, to what happens moving forward. But I think you know, I think it's important to note that there's already a deficit uh, when it comes to supply and demand in the market. Hmm. And just kind of see, I mean, you guys are trading at below a $10 million market cap Canadian right now. And that's at, at, at around 22, 23 cents. Um, obviously, you, you know, you, you think you're heavily undervalued or you wouldn't be doing this. Or you wouldn't be in the, you wouldn't be running this company. What do you think is going to, is going to take um, to kind of, to kind of get your value reflected in your stock price and kind of how are you working to achieve that? Well, look, I think we have to, I think we spent a lot of time. Um, this last transaction, for example, took us over two years to complete. 
So we've been focused uh, internally for the most part for the past couple of years, trying to create a portfolio um, which allows us these different avenues that I mentioned, you know, both lower cost and higher cost uranium production opportunities plus the opportunity for an alternative material like vanadium, uh, which is also another, um, you know, up and coming sector. Uh, so now we do have a portfolio which I think reflects the opportunities that are in the marketplace. Um, so I think that, you know, now that we've, you know, been able to get all these assets in-house, we no longer have to focus internally as we were. Uh, we don't need to go out and acquire anything else, but certainly we'll be opportunistic. But I think we have enough, uh, you know, product in-house that we can, you know, start to do a great deal more marketing. We can start putting out more news on the advancement of the assets, whether it's ISR, whether it's Hard Rock in Utah, in Colorado, in Wyoming. Uh, I think, you know, the addition of, you know, the potential, you know, building out of kind of an operational side team uh, might be something else which, you know, kind of gives a bit more strength to uh, the company. But certainly, you know, we've been under the radar for uh, quite a while. And, uh, you know, now it's our time to tell the story and kind of explain how we fit into uh, kind of the energy uh, fix in the U.S. Uh, when it comes to, you know, the 232 decision. I think that we are one of the parties that, you know, will be considered when it comes time for utilities to uh, make a decision to handle contracts because we do have two paths to production. Uh, we have, you know, the Charlie pr- you know, production opportunity uh, in the nearer term with shootering in the longer term, but certainly um, I think it's key in the, in the sector that you have a path to production that you can show to you, you utilities uh, so the utilities can make an informed decision. You know, it, it's very difficult if you're an exploration company to say, well, we can, we can provide you with material uh, in the next three years uh, when you don't really have a path to production because it takes a long time to get uh, production facilities in place. A long time, a lot of red tape in the sector, um, and there's a big cost to uh, you know, creating these processing plants and facilities too. Mm-hmm. Do you think because your you know your assets are based out of the U.S. is this something that you've tried to market in the states? And if so, how has the feedback been so far? Well, uh, we have been marketing in the U.S. Um, you know the little marketing that we have done, and we've had uh, very good feedback. You know, people are very comfortable and understand uh, the U.S. market uh, a bit more. Um, you know, I think the production story uh, resonates down there uh, more so than just exploration or, or the building of giant resource. Um, I think that you know, very, people are very comfortable with uh, investing in the U.S., and, and we've had actually a few inbound calls from uh, prospective new investors out of the U.S. who, who uh, are watching what we're doing and are intrigued by what we're doing. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, uh, you know, I wanted to bring you out here because I, I wanted subscribers to kind of get a sense of your passion and your determination for the deal. I mean. Just to kind of give everybody a little bit of a of some background information here, I first met Corey. It was probably six years ago, if I'm not mistaken, right, Corey? Probably at least six years ago. At least six to eight years ago, and it was you're still running Anfield, and you were running Anfield at the time. You're still running it to this day, and that I want kind of everybody to realize. So many people, especially in the junior mining game. You know, they go from one company to another. They and uh, and they switch hats, and one day they're they're mining promoters, and the next day they're blockchain experts, and and they're constantly switching. Corey is one of those guys that has stuck st- stuck stood by his company from day one, and has continued to build it even when 
you know, uranium was in the hole. Nobody wanted to listen to it. He kept working. He kept raising money. He kept buying stock himself. Corey and his family are large shareholders of the company. And, uh, and I do think those, these are the types of guys that we need to back and support because they stick to their deal regardless of market sentiment. And, you know, that's just a big kudos to you, Corey, because I know how hard you work to get to this point. And uh, you continue to kind of persevere, even though, uh, you know, the markets haven't been too, uh, too good to anyone for the last couple of years in this space. And uh, but I do think we're in for um, for a big turn here. And I think the ones um, that have the right assets and the right share structure, which Anfield does, are going to be the ones to benefit the most. So that's why I wanted to kind of get you back over here. Well, thanks. And, and just, uh, you know, on that point, uh, just a quick, you know, this quick number test. Uh, isn't there the where, where, you know, other our peers trade? You know, when we look at kind of a market cap to M&I, uh, you know, metric, yep. you look at our peers, your energy, energy fuels, uh, UEC, you, know, you throw chemical into the mix, uh, you know, Peninsula Energy, you know, they're trading at, you know, even M&I basis, you know, call it, you know, between four and five dollars, and we're trading, you know, below fifty cents. So even for us to just trade in line with our peers, you know, our stock price could be, you know, closer to two fifty than it is today, uh, than than twenty cents. So, and that's assuming you know nothing else changes. If the market does move up, you know, obviously a rising tide lifts all ships. So that uh, you know the potential price could be significantly higher than that. So. And that's just on a metric basis. There's no, you know, there's no guarantee that things move in that direction. But if you're just looking at, you know, a comparable, that's just one way to look at it, where we trade uh, compared to our peers. So. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I think you've cleaned up the structure extremely well. I know you rolled it back and you did this financing. And there was a, there was a couple of groups that took most of this last placement down. Is that correct? Uh, there, there are a few large uh, investors, probably I'd say five or six, who who participated. Um, you know, and they've they've been long term shareholders. They're you know institutional shareholders. Uh, they understand what the opportunity is, and uh, you know they continue to support the company. Uh, they like what we're doing, and uh, you know they think that there's uh, you know there's very little downside, significant upside, and not only in the sector but in our company. So. So it's, uh, it's nice to get that kind of long-term support. I 100% agree with you. Corey, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of leave subscribers with? Uh, well, look, I think um, subscribers should probably put us on, you know, at minimum put, up, put us on their screens to uh, keep an eye on because there will be, no, be news coming out, you know, over the next few weeks. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll have a steady iteration of news that, uh, you know, let's, the, you know, the market know what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing and uh, be able to build that narrative uh, that shows that we do have, you know, our path to production and, uh, you know, we are looking to create something significant here. So I think that's that's probably the biggest takeaway. I agree. And that's why I want to bring you guys out and um, and want again, want to, uh, to let everybody know we're shareholders and we took part in the last placement. So we're obviously biased, but... Um, but this is one that uh, we feel very, very comfortable with and confident with about the story. And at 22 and a half cents, this is basically trading at its all-time low. And now with 2019, with a number of good catalysts coming out the door, I think we have a massive opportunity here. So uh, I want everybody to kind of keep Anfield on their radar screen, AEC on the venture. And, um, and obviously, you know, come back to me if you have any questions. 
and I'd be more than happy to uh, to kind of pass them on to uh, to Corey. Thanks a lot for your time, Corey. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Thank you.